Welcome back to Money Minutes for Doctors. I am your host, Christina McAteer, and once again, have the pleasure of welcoming Catherine Vicenis. How are you today, Miss Catherine? Well, as you know, any day with you is a great day, and any day we can help doctors feel more comfortable about their finances is also a great day. So I'm very happy to be here. Wonderful. I love that positive attitude that you always possess. It is an inspiration. Well, thank you, because, you know, the doctors come to us and they're really torn up about their finances or they're stressed. And I've never seen the impossible case. There's always a way out of the quagmire. Also good to hear. (laughs) Well, again, financial stress is really a lot to carry and finances are complex. So as our listeners may remember in one of our prior episodes, we started to discuss the Roth 401k. And then our thought was maybe to think about the Roth IRA However, we realized we didn't really touch on the basic IRA. So, Catherine, we invite you today to help us educate on the basic IRA. Awesome. Happy to get started. So we find a lot of doctors are confused about IRAs and Roth IRAs, how they work, when they can use them. So I'm going to start, as I said, with IRAs today, which stands for Individual Retirement Accounts. And I'm hoping, Christy, that our next meeting, uh, we can do Roth IRAs. Sounds like a plan. Okay. So they first became available in way back in 1975. And the whole thought was this was a way for Americans to save money for retirement and to motivate them. Congress says, we're going to give you this big uh, tax advantage to be able to do that. Usually that meant uh, they could deduct the amount that they were saving in IRAs from taxes, uh, which means that they don't have to pay tax on that money today. And the money was also growing in a tax deferred way so they wouldn't have to pay taxes on it as it's growing. Hmm. And out of curiosity, were the 401ks in existence at that time or or not quite yet? About the same time we had 401ks and we had something else called tax sheltered annuities, which were abbreviated TSA for not for profits. Later, a lot of those TSAs became known as 403Bs. So if with your permission, I thought I'd run through a few basics about IRAs if I can. Yes, because admittedly, you've covered everything I know about the IRA so far. <laughs> We've already gotten through your list. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Help us out, Miss Catherine. It's only going to be up from here. That's good. All right. So in no particular order, I'm going to say, number one, um, you or your spouse have to be working in order to contribute. There's really no uh, downside age limits. So I did have um, some clients who had their their triplets I think I may have mentioned them in a previous show, were modeling when they were just a few weeks old. And so they had earned income and they could certainly have put that in an IRA if they wanted to. So once again, both spouses don't have to be working, but at least one spouse has to be working in order to contribute. Okay. Now, the next thing is your contribution or the amount you can contribute is uh, limited to what you earn annually or the limits for that year, whichever is lower. So for this year, doctors who are under 50 years old can contribute 5,500. And if they're over 50, they could do 6,500. And this amount is increased periodically just to keep up with inflation. All right, now point number three. Once you get the age of 70 and a half, you're no longer eligible to make an IRA contribution, even if you are working. However, 
If you're over 70 and a half and you're self-employed, we could potentially use something we call an independent or solo 401k if you wanted to continue to save in a tax-deferred way. So how this might work, if you're a doctor who's over 70 and a half and you're working for a hospital or a group or a clinic, they usually will have a 401k or 403b at your work and you can continue to defer income and taxes by using that 401k plan at work. So I've seen doctors who are like in their 80s still working and still be able to make contributions to their uh, 401k at work, even though they could not do an IRA. Curious on your general opinion, are there a lot of physicians who work over age 70 or is that becoming less common? I have not looked at the general statistics, but I right now I'm hard pressed to think of more than I have a couple who will even be able to work over 80. It doesn't sound so optimistic, does it? No, it doesn't because I think they're more stressed and work is not as fun for them as it was 20 years ago. And I think there's a couple of specialties that seem to really like their work and want to work longer. And one of them is pediatricians. Those And I don't know if they just love working with babies or if uh, they get paid less than other doctors, (laughs) so they have to work longer. Uh, The other one is psychiatrists. Some of the psychiatrists um, absolutely hate what they do and they want to be done by the time they're 50. And others have their own individual practice. They only take patients that they want and they can do that into their their 80s. I can certainly see how the physical demands of psychiatry perhaps aren't so egregious such that you could continue it late in life. And judging from a recent article that I read, I'm sure there's going to be lots of demand for psychiatrists as they reported soaring incidents of mental health dysfunction in our society and also lack of access to mental health services for over 50% of the U.S. population, which is just shocking to me. It is shocking, but I agree in some ways being a psychiatrist is much less stressful than, um, you know, for you, emergency med, you're probably doing a lot of procedures, a lot of what you have to do, you're standing for, it's much harder on the body. Yeah, well, I'm hoping I can uh, outlive that record. We'll see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) That's good, because I'm planning on you retiring before I retire, so just keep that in mind. All right. It's possible that you can actually put money into an IRA and still have it deductible. But, of course, there's a lot of rules and regulations on who qualifies and and who doesn't. So let's take the situation that's very common for us. We have uh, two clients. One of them has a retirement plan at work and the other one doesn't. So for the client who doesn't have a retirement plan at work and they're married filing joint returns, if they're joint adjusted gross income is less than 189000 You they can actually deduct that IRA. Now, I've actually found this rule is very rare to work for our doctors. And the reason it's rare is most, um, most of our clients have some sort of retirement plan at work. So if they have a retirement plan at work, they're not going to qualify. Mm. Well, I guess it's good to know that it's an option, although it seems kind of restrictive and unfortunate for the spouse who doesn't have an employer that offers those options in that they wouldn't have access to a retirement vehicle. So that's the whole reason they had this rule was so those Americans who did not have access to a retirement plan at work could still, in certain circumstances, set money aside for uh, for retirement and still make it a tax-deductible contribution. 
Well, I like that idea. I like incentivizing people to do the right thing. And it seems like having a retirement account would be a good thing for almost anybody because we all know that the cost of living is very expensive. You're exactly right. And that does get to some of Congress's motivations with taxes as they are trying to incentivize people to save more for their retirement. We have had a few doctors that actually have made after-tax contribution to an IRA. So in this situation, they could not deduct the 5500 from their taxes. But once they get this after-tax contribution, it could grow tax-deferred. So they wouldn't be paying taxes on the profits until a point in the future when they were taking it out. Now, this is sometimes called a non-deductible IRA. I wanted to include for this um, a grid that kind of lets people know where they might fall and see whether this would be appropriate for them. Perfect. Audience, please refer to the show notes for that one. Happy to pass it along. Great. Uh, Now, uh, thought number five, IRA accounts are all held at custodians. So this custodian could be a bank like Bank of America, Wells Fargo, could be an investment company or brokerage firm like Fidelity, um, Merrill Lynch, Vanguard, or TD Ameritrade, just to name a few. Okay. So those custodians then are responsible for maintaining the account and doing the investments? Well, in a sense, the custodians actually hold the assets and then they will invest them according to either the customer or the individual investor, if it's what in the industry we call a retail account, or they will invest them according to a financial advisor's instructions. And the custodian's job, they're like a bank. They're trying to make sure that these assets are safe, safe meaning safe from theft, they can't usually guarantee they are safe from market ups and downs. Meaning you could put money into this kind of investment, you could lose money, um, but they would be protecting it from, from theft. They also do a lot of record keeping because they actually report your um, holdings to the federal government. So the federal government actually knows if you're making deposits into your um, IRA and if you're making the proper withdrawals which I'll talk about in a minute. So is that pretty similar to what one would have for a 401k? Yes, right. The government's going to know about that. And all of your 401ks are always held at a custodian too. Uh, So yes, very similar. Okay, good to know. So number six, you're able to use any investments that your particular custodian offers. So every custodian is going to have a different array or lineup of potential investment options. So common ones actually include cash or money market accounts. I don't recommend that, Christy, because they're not going to grow enough to keep up with inflation, but I've seen doctors that had those in their accounts. Uh, You can use annuities, you can use stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and real estate choices, just to name a few options. Now, the choices can get much more exotic. So some custodians might include precious metals, so you could invest in gold or silver, Uh, and sometimes even stock in closely held companies. So then each individual account holder would make their own personal selection from the investments that the custodian offers or the custodian as sort of the account overseer would make the the decision of how to invest the funds? Oh, that's a really good question. So it's illegal for the custodian to be making that decision without an input, either from um, the investor 
or from an investment advisor that's taking on those duties and responsibilities for the investor. Hmm. And I ask that because I think back to a comment that you made earlier when you said that physicians are just so busy, they often don't have enough time or knowledge to do the proper research to make the proper investment decisions um, to yield the kind of returns that they want. So I was just curious if your custodian would come to you and say, do you want to invest in A, B, or C, and then the decision would be on your shoulders, or do they use the fact that they're experts in investing and help you decide the right allocation for your funds? Well, I think some of that might vary from custodian to custodian. Hmm. So if you if you have an IRA at like a small local credit union, they likely don't have people on staff that are very uh, savvy about this. They may not feel comfortable and they may not have a big array of options for you there. So they may give some kind of general overall recommendations, but the decision is in the hands of the investor on what they actually do. Now, if you're dealing with a much larger company, a Fidelity or Bank of America, let's say, they're likely to have a little more uh, sophisticated people on their help desk. And once again, they'd be running through the options. They should be giving you the pros and cons. And then once again, the investor would be making that final decision. Hmm. Now, how that varies a little bit differently with, with us is all of our clients have made us their, quote, investment advisor. So we have that conversation with the clients. Uh, We make recommendations and kind of run through the pros and cons of what this is. And then we go to the custodian and tell the custodian how to invest the funds. I like that idea. Again, it seems like there's just so many nuances to making these choices that you really want someone who's in the business and in the know, so to speak, to make that on your behalf to get the best return. I think that's absolutely true. And one of the things that occurred to both you and me as I was prepping for our podcast today is something as simple as an IRA is far from simple. It's just much more complicated than either you or I thought. And as I mentioned to you, part of the reason it didn't strike me it was this complex is I've been dealing with these for decades. So I didn't really think about the depth, the nuances of this until I put it all on paper to prep for today. Mm. Well, as I review your list, (laughs) there are a lot of nuances and I'm thankful we're covering them because again, I think most people are familiar with a 401k, but good to know about the array of vehicles that are out there. And so now they can say they know about the IRA too. Right. Exactly. Because once again, knowledge is power. If they're going to make a better choice, if they've got more information. So anyway, on to, on to other nuances. Number seven. So all the transaction within the IRA, whether they're getting interest on their bonds or dividends on your stocks or capital gains, you're buying and selling stocks or bonds. None of these are subject to any tax while they are in the account. However, the bad news is once you start making withdrawals from the account, then you're going to owe both federal and state tax if you happen to be in a state that charges state tax. And this is applied to all of your withdrawals. And so again, I'm most familiar with Florida or New Hampshire. Are there many other states that do not have a state tax? Yes, there's, I don't remember how many there are total, seven, eight, maybe as many as nine, but the ones I remember are Alaska. Uh, You're right about New Hampshire, Florida, Tennessee, losing one or two others. But you're right. If you're living in those states, then when you pull money out, you don't have to pay the state tax. Now, this can be huge. 
So as we mentioned before, one of my techniques for doctors who are retiring is, hey, would you think about some of these states with no state income tax? Because let's say you're in California where the top rates are 13%. So you're going to pay a big federal tax on your IRAs as you pull the money out and a state tax. Well, if you move to Texas or Florida, you can eliminate that. You might be saving 5 or 6% in Massachusetts or Rhode Island and 10 or 13% in California. It's substantial. And it's where you're living at the time you make the withdrawal is what's important. Exactly. Yes, yes yeah. absolutely. Okay, mm-hmm. good to know. So many doctors, if we've talked, are, re- are very confused by these provisions. And some of the doctors I found, many of our clients had no idea that the IRAs were going to be subject to income taxes in the future. That A lot of them are like, you mean I have to pay tax on this? They're like, shocked. And then I have others who go, but Catherine, I'm going to be in a lower tax bracket in the future. And I'm like, well, maybe. Um I don't know that that's actually true. It's true when they created the, created these in the 70s. Tax rates were higher than now, and they thought that you'd be smart to push your taxes into the future using vehicles like IRAs, 401ks, et cetera. Uh, but it was based on the assumption that you'd be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. But Christy, we work with over 300 doctors nationally, and I can only think of two or three of these 300 that will actually be in a lower tax bracket in the future. So what is that? It's 1% or less. I think that's so important to make note of because I think the general advice is to push the the taxes to the future because the assumption is that you'll be in a lower tax bracket. And that's for, you know, a variety of investment advice that you might get from accountants, friends, colleagues, etc. Maybe not experts in the business. So if that's sort of the common knowledge, I think it's a really good point to make that it's not necessarily true. So think long and hard about when you're going to pay those taxes because eventually they always come due. Totally. It's death and taxes, right? <laughs> so I, I think this is another reason why you have to stay on top of this. Well, that advice was great 40 years ago. For your grandparents, it was probably a fantastic advice. But the things that worked out great for your grandparents could be really detrimental to you. And a lot of people just have to keep up with this. So unfortunately for some of these doctors, they're using IRAs today to defer taxes. And what they're doing is they're pushing their taxes into the future when they're likely to be at a higher tax rate, which is going to cost them more money. And this is because these withdrawals, whether they're required or not, will be subject to ordinary income taxes at the time that they withdraw them. And so that's the tax bracket that you're in at the time of the withdrawal. Is that correct? Right, exactly. And that's determined by how much money you're withdrawing from various accounts in retirement. Hmm. So any money you're withdrawing from these accounts other than a tax-free account is going to be counted as uh, either long-term capital gains or in the case of IRAs and 401ks, it's all subject to ordinary income tax, once again, a much higher rate. Well, so important to note that. And I think one of the reasons why it makes retirement planning so essential to get it right is that you really only get one chance to get it right. So maybe you can make some minor mishaps early in life and you can recover from some of that. But if you get to the age of 70 or above, it seems like these decisions have a huge impact and you have to make sure that you're doing it correctly. You know, that's really a good point, but I would move the age down to 45 or 50. Okay, fair enough. 
because I've had a lot of doctors come to us like in their late 50s, early 60s. They want to retire. They want us to run some numbers for them. And if they haven't done this kind of planning in advance, it's I just don't have enough time to unwind it for them because we have so few years between uh, when they're doing this analysis and when they're retiring. A 30-year-old doctor, a 40-year-old doctor, we've got a lot of time to get this straightened out. But to your point, the longer you put it off, the harder. As the famous saying goes, timing is everything. Exactly. All right. Now, now on to number eight. So it's possible to have more than one IRA account. And I see some overachieving doctors that might have numerous ones, three, four, six, maybe different IRA accounts, all held at different institutions or different custodians. Now, I don't recommend this because it becomes so much more difficult, Christy, to track them and to manage the investments. And if you're thinking about rebalancing them, you have to kind of do them all together as a process. So usually it's best to combine all of your IRAs into one account, and then you use a consistent investment philosophy over all of those investments in that one account. And do you find that most of these physicians have 401ks and then they're investing in IRAs as well? Or is it more common that you might have physicians only with IRAs? That's a really good question. I usually get the ones who have IRAs and existing 401ks when they had um, previous employment and they had a 401k at their previous employer or a 403b. And then they left that employer, as you're going to see in a minute, and they roll that money over to an IRA. So they, that's how they got their money into an IRA. It's very rare that they would be directly investing in an IRA um, as, as their work career continues. Because as I mentioned earlier, for most doctors, they can't deduct that 5,500 a year. And there's other things that they could do that would be more advantage than doing an after-tax IRA. Mm. But if they do do an after-tax IRA, then again, they can make the withdrawals. And at that point, they would only be taxed on the gains during the lifetime of the IRA account. Is that correct? Oh, that's really good. Gold star. Yes, they would be taxed on the gains, but the gains would be taxed at ordinary income tax rates. Where if we put that same money in a brokerage account, the taxes would be at generally long-term capital gains rates, which would be less. So it's very rare. I have never personally recommended that strategy for doctors, even doctors that could do it. Uh, because A, I don't like it being tied up for reasons that you're going to see in a minute. And B, I don't like them paying ordinary income tax when they pull it out. All they're getting is some tax deferred growth, which for a couple of doctors, they, re- they really liked that. I prefer for most of our clients to have the flexibility of a brokerage account because it's so liquid. If they need the money, they can get it. Mm, I could see the advantage of that for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, once you're 70 and a half, you have to start making required distributions and paying the tax on them. The IRS calls this required minimum distributions or RMDs for short. Now, the amount you must withdraw is set by statute and it increases as you get older. Uh, The penalty for failing to make these withdrawals and paying the tax is extreme. It's 50%. So you want to make sure that you're working with an advisor who can help you do these calculations correctly because you don't want to get stuck with that 50% penalty. Excellent. Good advice. And I have to tell you, every time I hear RMD, I'm always going to think of you because I never knew that term existed until we met. 
<laughs> I love it. That's so funny. Think how smart you're going to be sounding when you're talking to the doctors. Have you done your calculations on your RMDs? They're going to think you're just so brilliant. I love it. Well, if I can help any of my colleagues, friends, children, etc., then that is the goal. Well, if you're a physician who's uh, over 70 and a half now and listening to this, or maybe you have colleagues like that, and they're still working, so underline the and they're still working, if they have access to a 401k or 403b, you can actually get by this uh, rule of required minimum distributions. The way we can get by with that is we take their IRAs and we actually roll them into the 401ks, 403bs at work. So this only works when A, they're over 70 and a half, B, they're still working, and C, they have a 401k or 403b at work. And if by doing this, it allows us to avoid taking those RMDs until they're fully, completely retired, once again, deferring the taxes until sometime in the future. So just to clarify, if you have a 401k, are you required to make RMDs at a certain age, or is it um, age plus being fully retired. So it is you're at a, on a 401k. Normally it would be age 70 and a half. Technically it's April after you turn age 70 and a half to be more technical. Um, but um, if you're still working, you don't have to take the withdrawals from the 401k. So that's a big difference then between the 401k and the IRA. It's a huge difference. And it's like I said, one of the reasons we use this strategy for helping older doctors avoid the taxes. When you do a rollover, does that have any implication for your normal contributions to your 401k amount? Or is that considered a one-time event and therefore does not change your contribution um, for that, that tax year? No, it doesn't change the contributions for that tax year because it's considered old money that was calculated in previous tax years. So every contribution is um, defined by this year. Okay. So that amount could be as big or as small as it was. There really would be no limit there on what you could roll over into the 401k. Right. It could be hundreds. It could be millions of dollars, technically, that you could roll over. And you'll be able to do an annual contribution. Yeah, that's good. Well, I hope lots of doctors have millions of dollars and maybe with some sort of miracle, we'll have lower tax rates. <laughs> the win-win. <laughs> <laughs> Crossing your fingers and go to the polls is all I can say to that one. All right, number 10. There's another way to get money into um, an IRA. And this I alluded to just a few minutes ago, which is to do a rollover from an old 401k or 403b. So how this works is, Christy, you had a job at a previous employer. You're not currently employed there. You're not getting any moonlighting money. You're not getting any other money from this old employer. If that's the case, then you can roll over all that old 401k, 403b money into an IRA. It's not a taxable event. And we almost always recommend this strategy to our doctors for a number of reasons, um, first, you've got better options at your own IRA than you're, usually you do at your old company. The fees are generally less. It helps you consolidate your investments. And frankly, it makes it easier to manage them all in one place. Perfect. I like that idea because there are so many things that families are responsible for these days. I find consolidating information and keeping it as simple as possible is the best way to keep track of things. Totally. Big stress reducer. And I think you'll do better in the long run because it's very complex if you've got different investment strategies on you know, different buckets of money. It's hard to track. 
All right. Now, with any investment, as you know, you've heard me say this a dozen times, there are pros and cons. There's, so there's pros and cons to an IRA. And I think there's a few things that all physicians and dentists should consider before you use these. So with your permission, I'll start with the positives. Positives are the earnings or the growth inside the IRA are not taxable until withdrawn. So this can be a significant advantage because if you had money in a brokerage account and you were uh, realizing those gains every year, you might be losing 30% of that account or even 20% or 15% to be paying the taxes, where in this case, you don't have that problem and the money just keeps growing until retirement. So we don't have the headwind of taxes. So that's number one. Number two, an IRA does have protection from creditors. Now, this is really important to our doctors who, by and large, are all concerned about asset protection strategies. Now, the levels of protection are going to vary from state to state because they're determined by state law. And when you talk about creditors, is that, for example, if a physician maybe got himself overextended and had mortgage debt or a bad real estate investment, or are you made me talking about a lawsuit that had a... Uh an undesirable verdict, and then therefore the physician had to pay out large sums of cash. Can you just clarify what kind of protection that offers? Oh, that's really good. So it could be any kind of creditor. So you're right. Maybe you, um, your lender is suing you because you defaulted on your mortgage, or maybe it's a patient that's suing you because your medical malpractice didn't cover the judgment, and there's still some uh, money owed that patient under a court debt. It could be any of those things. So if you are paying that debt um, according to the provisions that you agreed on with the, with the creditor, no problem. But if you default and they have to sue you to collect that debt, they can garnish you wages. They can literally take money from your bank accounts. And uh, so that's important. So if you have money at a brokerage account, that's going to be very open to creditors. In certain states, any equity that you have in your home or some of the equity in your home could be subject to creditors. And IRAs have a higher protection of creditor protection than, say, a brokerage account or a bank account. And how would the credit protection from an IRA compare to, say, one from a 401k? The credit protection in a 401k is generally a little bit better. Now, with that said, uh, it's true that on paper, the 401ks look like it's got slightly better creditor protection, but I have never, with all the clients we've had, ever had a doctor lose money in an IRA or a 401k due to a lawsuit. Okay. Good to know, because unfortunately, those mishaps in life happen, and I hate to think of anyone being completely unprepared for retirement. That just seems to be a dire situation. Exactly. Now, number three, current IRS rules do allow you to convert an unlimited amount of funds in your IRAs to Roth IRAs, which is how we got started talking about this. And we will be talking more about Roth IRAs at our next podcast. So what happens is you can use your IRA money and do what's called a conversion to a Roth IRA. Once again, it's an unlimited amount of money. If you had millions of dollars in your IRA, you could convert it all to a Roth IRA. There is a catch, though, of course, and the catch is that that money has never been taxed, so you have to pay tax on it uh, in the year that you do this conversion. Well, I guess it's the inevitable taxes, right? 
Exactly. They're going to catch up with you and they you're going to pay it once again, ordinary income tax rates in the year of the conversion. Now, we sometimes use this strategy in stages so doctors can spread the taxes out over um, a few years. Um, or we use it in a year that the doctor's taxes are expected to be lower. So, for instance, we're recording this in 2018. Taxes for almost all of our doctors are lower this year than in the past. This might be a really good year to consider doing that. In fact, I've got um, a doc couple. Um, she's emergency med. Um, there are, once again, two, two doctors. And when I talked to her accountant just yesterday, he was doing some kind of math and he goes, you know, I think they should convert about 70,000 a year just in their, uh, regular IRAs to get them into the Roth account. Mm. So that's the kind of strategy that we like to work with an accountant, uh, to help us figure out what's a good amount for them to convert. So some other ideas that come to mind with, um, potentially a change in your, income tax bracket is maybe perhaps if you're taking a sabbatical year or for women physicians, if you're going to be doing family planning and, and take time out for a pregnancy and delivery, maybe that might be the right time to think about doing a conversion. Absolutely. Good, th good thoughts about that. We also will do it for residents and fellows, particularly in their final year of training, because it's likely to be their lowest tax year ever. And the taxes aren't due until April following the year that we're doing the conversion. Oh, okay. I see the benefit there. Very nice. Excellent. So it, it does get more complicated, though, if we've got a doctor that's doing public service loan forgiveness and we're doing this conversion, it increases their income for that year, which increases the amount that they have to pay on an income-based uh, payment plan. Mm. So we have to take all that into consideration on whether it makes sense to do a conversion for doctors that are looking for public service loan forgiveness. All the more reason to have a financial advisor and not to take this on by yourself. <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh, there's so many pitfalls. Now, on to the negative side. There's a couple of negatives with IRAs. As we've talked before, uh, the first is withdrawals are subject to these ordinary income taxes in the year of distribution. Uh, and that's on the entire amount that's distributed. Uh, as I mentioned, these funds have never been taxed, so it's time to pay the piper. Now, um, number two, IRAs are, cannot be used as collateral for a loan. That's not the same as a 401k or 403b. So you can typically borrow from, from those plans or occasionally use them as collateral, but you cannot do that with an IRA. Mm, so an important distinction there. Right. And as I said, number three, you can't borrow from an IRA either. And number four, one thing I find is that the size of these IRA accounts can be very misleading to some doctors. They think they're wealthier than they are. They think they're far wealthier than they really are. And I can remember- That sounds like an uh-oh moment. It is because it's true on paper. I've had doctors, you know, oh, there's 750,000 here. Yes, I agree. That sounds like a lot of money. But let's be frank, that money's never been taxed. And the doctor that was telling me this is in California. He will lose over half of that to taxes. So it's not really $750,000. It's more like three seventy-five, maybe. So oh, that is so painful. It is really painful. So one way to think about this is that the tax benefit you're getting from these putting monies in an IRA is essentially a loan that you're owing Uncle Sam. And it's going to have to be paid back upon with withdrawal. 
So once again, if you're in one of those high tax states, California, Minnesota, New York, or some others, you could be losing about half the account to taxes. So just a heads up for our audience there that at some point with whatever investment vehicle you choose, you will have to be paying taxes. So be keen to the idea of when you pay them and if you have any control over what period in your life or how you pay them, um, because you might be able to minimize the impact, but be assured those taxes will come due. You know, but you've hit upon one of my key beliefs, which is you need to go about this thoughtfully, carefully with good advice, because you can save a lot of money on taxes if you do it right. So I totally agree with you there. Well, let's get it right. (laughs) So there are major penalties if you pull these funds out before 59 and a half. Um, So you can, you'll end up paying ordinary income tax on the amount withdrawn and a 10% penalty. So once again, we don't recommend doctors use this unless they've got other investments that are more liquid in case they can need them for emergencies. So I think that makes IRAs relatively illiquid before age 59 and a half. So kind of set it and forget it philosophy with IRAs. There's other ways to avoid the 10% penalty too, and including you can do a series of equal payments and withdrawals taken over a lifetime. We call that annuitization, and that will avoid the 10% penalty. Now, number six, leaving your IRA to your children or other individuals may not be as generous as you think, because if your children want to take all of the money out now, which unfortunately is almost always the case, then the entire IRA is considered taxable income in that year. Ouch. So once again, if you're in California or one of the high tax states, could lose 50%. Uh, so not very pleasant. Now, you can avoid this bill or I should say the heirs can avoid this bill by doing something called a stretch IRA, which is stretching out those required minimum distributions over the beneficiary's lifetime. And we do have a client who's doing this currently. He's 35 years old. He got an IRA of about 300000 His RMDs right now are about only about 4000 per year. Now, he does have to pay tax on the 4000 but that is a much smaller tax bill than tax on 300000 Uh, Just to note, this rule does not apply to spouses who inherit a spousal, uh, their spouse's IRA. It does apply to other beneficiaries, though. Now, one takeaway, or as you like to think of this, pearls and pitfalls. One thing doctors should notice is that this simple retirement tool is anything but simple. So if you're a doctor who has an IRA or you're considering investing one, I strongly recommend getting some good, solid advice from somebody who's experienced and expert um, to help you make really good choices. Uh, This is not calling the help desk at your local custodian. Those are great folks. Uh, They're usually kind and very dedicated, but they may not have the kind of training necessary to give you, the doctor, the kind of advice you need for a very complex situation. Well, wonderful advice. I thank you for your thoughtful knowledge, as always, and sharing it with our physician community, as this is a very unique knowledge base and one that we don't get a lot of exposure to in our medical training. Hopefully, our listeners now feel a little bit more comfortable with the IRA and considering it as a retirement or investment vehicle. Please forward any questions you have to us. We're happy to answer them, and we look forward to you listening in next month. Once again, I'm Christina McAteer, your host, and say thank you for tuning into Money Minutes. We'll talk to you soon.